0: log Talk Radio. Hi, and
1: welcome to our latest Outsports Podcast. This is, this is Ziegler and Jim Bozinski, and I will say coming at you from Los Angeles, because that might not be the case in a couple of weeks. Bright and sunny here, still warm. Typical September in L.A. Beautiful football weather. Jim, you've been out to the L.A. Gay Flag Football League. How's
0: the uh, how's the league looking this season? Uh, it's it's there. <laughs> I have fun reffing. I'm not playing this uh, season because the games are on Sundays, or a lot of games are on Sundays, and that's my NFL day, but I'm out there uh, reffing. It's always fun. The great thing you said about oh, the weather is it's never a factor in L.A., yep. um, except maybe in the wintertime, which I hope is a factor this winter because we really need the rain. But um, You're going to be at the Gay Bowl in well, two weeks, and I'm going to uh, miss you well, for the first say, time ever.
1: Yeah, the Gay Bowl in Philadelphia and over Columbus Day weekend. It's almost always over Columbus Day weekend except when people create ridiculous reasons to move the date. And, yeah, it's uh, I'm looking forward to it, though. It It is, whenever it's in a place like Philadelphia, it runs the risk of rain and bad weather. Some people would love it to be in San Diego every year. San Di- just go between San Diego, Phoenix, and Denver pretty much. But, uh, yeah, I mean, well, in, when it was in... Where was it? Houston. The final day even got rained out and I've been at the Gay World Series, I think that was in Columbus Twenty eleven. the final day one of the days where it got rained out as well, the the the, the final. So you uh you just never know what the weather's gonna hold for some of these gay tournaments.
0: Well, in football you can play in the rain. In Houston it was the lightning that caused the uh day to be cancelled because we played yeah, in, the rain and in Boston was, in 2003 it was pouring but there was no lightning so we were allowed to play. Yeah, lightning is a big deal.
1: Well, uh some big couple of big stories this week for us. Uh Iowa a a coach, a high junior high school track and cross country coach in what I call rural Iowa near the University of Iowa came out and it was it was kind of interesting, Jim. This we hear over and over again how homophobic sports are, and 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 people point to the language that's used, the the f-bomb and 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 other anti-gay language that's used by athletes and coaches. There's evidence that how homophobic it is. Yet when Evan Risk, uh, this coach, came out to a friend who was talking about killing queers. He, the, the friend, immediately said, "Oh, I'm so sorry for saying that. I don't think that I'm I'm so I'm I love you. You're still my friend. I, I'm so glad you told me," and changed his his behavior. And and it just continues to make me wonder how how homophobic sports really are. If one of the pieces of evidence just over and over again just keeps being shown
0: to us as not really reflective. Well, and I do think it it shows that people often say these things, that they don't really quote-unquote mean them literally, and yet if you're an athlete and you're in the closet and you hear them, you assume, oh, my God, my teammates won't support me if I come out. And so I think the language really does keep people in the closet because they fear the worst, and then in the case of Evan, he comes out, and his friend all of a sudden is like, i I'm so terribly sorry for what I said and now the guy doesn't say that stuff anymore. Um and so that's why I think there's still the the power of people coming out is you confront people with that language you realize they were simply maybe mimicking stuff they've heard all through their childhood and high school. You know that's how you talked and that's yeah. how you sort of, you know, said stuff to be kind of macho and cool and that stuff's not macho and cool anymore. Well,
1: it's, you know, one of the things that I was I was at the Equality California dinner over the weekend, and uh, an honoree got up who was transgender and said that the most important people in our community and our movement are the straight allies, and that it was straight allies who helped create change, and I just could not disagree with that any more strongly because this guy who said all these homophobic things... You, there's no straight people could have told this guy you need to stop doing that. It's when someone comes out in his life that not only does he change his own behavior, but then when he hears someone else saying something anti-gay, he stops them. And, and I, I just I hear over and over again how important straight people are so important to to our to gaining our equality, but really changing people's hearts and minds. I just think that straight people are almost – they're just bystanders to what coming out does to people really in their in – how they really truly
0: feel. Yeah, I agree. I think straight athletes are, are – and allies are important, but they're not more important than the actual LGBT people who decide to come out and, you know, tell their truth and, you know – that's the most powerful at all because you can have all the support in the world. We see all the support in the world, but until people actually do the coming out, they're the ones everyone looks to more than athlete X says, you know, he'd have no problem with gay people. You would hope he'd have no problem with gay people. You know, that should well, be the default is- position. I have no problem with gay people or gay athletes, and yet we sort of still celebrate it like, wow, isn't that great that this athlete says he'd love to have a gay teammate? Well, you think about it, well, why shouldn't you?
1: Yeah, but even I mean, until we started asking these questions about three years ago, it was just assumed that all athletes were against gay people and and wouldn't wouldn't support gay people. So
0: exactly. it is a nice
1: change. It's obviously nice to have them as part of the conversation. It's just that the people who are actually changing things, changing how people feel, are the LGBT people
0: themselves. Yeah, and on your thing about Evan in Iowa, you, you, we had discussed before the podcast about what rural means, because you say rural Iowa. <laughs> well, I got you a definition from the U.S. Census Bureau. Oh, okay. All um, right. <laughs> the census does not define rural. Uh, it defines urban areas, 50,000 people or more. Urban clusters, 2,500 to less than 50,000 people. The rest is rural. All population, Wait. housing, and territory not included within an urban area.
1: Wait, so, when so, urban, so, so Iowa City apparently... So so Evan the one thing he took exception to in my it will I think in my comments I put I put like a a lead to his story he wrote a story was that it, he was in rural Iowa and he took exception to that because he felt that uh Iowa City is not rural now the 20 the 2013 census says it has 71,000 people in Iowa City and you're telling me that's urban
0: that's an urbanized
1: area an urbanized area. You've been to yeah. Iowa City a couple of times. I've been once. Would you call Iowa City urbanized?
0: I would call it a city, a small city. But I wouldn't call Iowa City rural, but right outside Iowa City, it is rural because there ain't nothing there but a lot of corn and cows. Yeah, our metro area contains a, an area er, of 50,000 or more population. So by definition of the Census Bureau, Iowa City is a metro area because it has 74,000 people. But I think when you say rural Iowa, you're probably really talking about small towns outside it. Get it right outside the Iowa city limits, and you're rural. So you go from metro to rural by basically crossing probably the street. So that's a small thing, but I just thought it was interesting that they actually don't define rural as, well, that's everything else is rural. So. It's,
1: it is lots of fields and lots of empty space and lots of corn and lots of sky, and very little tall buildings in population density. So I if if I'm disagreeing with the US. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm well, saying we were out is, th- driving a thousand oaks to see uh, Connor Merton's play, that seemed pretty rural some of those places. It was nothing but just scrubland.
1: Yeah, Connor Connor Merton's played as who's a out bisexual uh, kicker for the Willamette football team, he played his first road game uh, after having come out. And Jim and I were there in Thousand Oaks, California, Cal Lutheran. And it, it was pretty, uh, it seemed pretty rural, though. If Iowa City has, has 70,000 people, guess how many Thousand Oaks has? 100,000?
0: 100,
1: 128,000. And it, and. <laughs> It looked awfully rural to me, Jim. I mean, it's it's mile after mile of rolling hills, and in a few areas where there's a bunch of houses.
0: Yeah, I guess our definition of, of uh, is often colored by you know we think urban, we think of big cities, and anything else is non-urban. This is and this is a government def- designation designation probably for monetary reasons and whatever. But yeah, it's <laughs> well,
1: whatever it is. Not trying to not get too hung up on the definitions. It's it, it is rural or rural adjacent, and it's, still, it's, it's great to Plus, see it's guys a great like story. Evan. And again, we
0: keep having stories yeah. from these small places, South Dakota, Missouri, Kansas, Iowa. We haven't had that many stories really out of Los Angeles, San Francisco, Boston. When you think about it recently, some of these out-athletes c- compete and live in places that are considered non-urban by everybody.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's I just keep people keep pointing, you know, talking to me about how, oh well, um, for example, when we were at Connor's game, I tweeted that you know there were no booze and and that there were there were lots of fans cheering for him, uh, a lot of them Willamette fans, and somebody said, oh well, that's because it's in California, except most of our coming out stories, Texas, we've had a bunch of like high school, I won't say rural anymore. High schools in Texas, and Drew Martin at Texas Christian University. We have a, a Catholic school coach in South Dakota, and and lots of other these these small places where it's supposed to be so difficult. The the two the two volleyball players in it truly rural South Carolina. So I just I I continue to say that the sports world has transformed so much more than we give it credit credit for, and it's been everywhere. It has not just been at UCLA and at NYU. It's been, it's
0: been everywhere. Yeah, and it's the power of stories like, you know, on on the national level, like a Michael Sam, you know, him kissing his boyfriend is seen everywhere because it was shown by ESPN and the NFL Network live. And One that is a, has a powerful
1: yeah, no, absolutely, and 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 as that changes, a lot of these big national organizations are changing along with it. And, and we had another story this week about the National Association for Basketball Coaches, and that's just men's basketball. The the NABC governs men's basketball. The women have a whole other organization to deal with with coaches of of women's basketball, coaches of players of women's basketball. But the NABC is men's basketball, high school and college. So everybody from your local small town high school coach, all the way up to Mike Krzyzewski at Duke and everybody in between. And and this week they came out with a a new policy, uh, or maybe it was late last week, saying very explicitly that discrimination based on sexual orientation is not okay and that coaches, and, and this is one of the pieces that really got me, that the NABC opposes any action or inaction that has a tendency to cause or is intended to cause emotional or physical harm, blah, 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 blah. And I just thought that inclusion of inaction, like calling out very specifically inaction by a coach when you see something happening or hear something happening is is not okay.
0: No, and I know our friend Anthony Nicodemo had uh, had a lot to do with this, right? Was he one pushing it, or how did the, how did the whole Genesis come? Do we have Anthony on the line yet to tell us?
1: Nope, but we will. I I know <laughs> in, in in shortly, but uh, yeah. So I yeah, Anthony. I mean, he can talk about his his role in it um, when he
0: calls, and he'll be calling in shortly. But uh, to me, but, again, you know, that, you're right that about that. The idea that. It basically, ignorance is no excuse. You just can't say, you know, not doing anything isn't is considered doing something bad.
1: Yeah, and and so I got to talk to uh, the the head coach at the University of Maine, and uh, which is a Division One program, and he talked very specifically about what he does when he hears this stuff. And every single time he hears a, a gay slur or some kind of language, he lets his players know that's not going to be accepted here. And and I think that's something that more we
0: need more coaches to do because I think a lot of them just don't know how to handle it or they don't want to handle it. Yeah, I think a lot of them don't want to handle it. Kind of see no evil, hear no evil. Yeah.
1: So well I mean one of the questions that I always have is how much do these policies actually change things? Do the coaches actually Take these national policies into consideration, or the, do they just kind of turn a blind eye and 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 march forward and, and continue to allow language and and what have you? So I'm, I I just wonder how much of an effect those kinds of policies actually
0: have. You know, I think the fact that they exist is is important because a lot of policies at workplaces kind of get ignored, but when they're on the books and they people talk about them and hear about them, it's, it is going to it is going to have an effect on at least some people. There will be clearly people that will ignore it and thumb their nose at it. But the fact that you come out with these policy statements still matter, even if you can't get 100% buy-in, because you'll never get 100% buy-in of anything. Um, and now, because you have the policy, if a coach does something that violates so it, you have something you could point to and said you're part of this association that has this these agreements, and you know that those. So yeah, you're right. You can't. You really can't change people's minds overnight usually um, or change their hearts, but having these things on the record do matter a lot. Well, I know somebody who can certainly shed a lot more light on this
1: is Anthony Nicodemo, the aforementioned who joins us now. Anthony, what I, I know that you've been talking to people at the NABC about creating a policy like this. What what have been those conversations like, and and, and, and how did this come about? I mean, good afternoon to both you guys, by the way. You know, it
2: started way back when um, when I came out. You know, I thought, I I always kind of say you're kind of thrown into this advocacy role with visibility. So I I reached out immediately and said, you know, what would be a better way to reach the basketball community than have an organization that has 25,000 members? And it it took me a while to actually get through to the executive director. And at some point in the spring, he actually um, responded back that I'd love to talk about it. And we had a couple um phone calls that were really, really, really great. Um, re- probably right after Derek Gordon came out and um and, and he was very receptive to it and he asked me to you, know, you know to come up with some kind of a presentation that he would be able to present to the board of directors and uh it was presented in August and you know about a week later he reached back out and said that we came up with this anti
0: bullying policy. Was there any um problem of anyone you've seen is there any resistance or do people feel this is something that they they simply is way overdue
2: I, I mean i think it depends on the views there's probably a lot of people out there jim that kind of say well this is not a problem you know this is not a problem in our our, our school which i think is absolutely ridiculous so i think it's a problem everywhere still um, you know, but some people kind of turn a blind eye, and I think there's a lot of guys that just want to coach. You know, they don't want to have to deal with this, as we know. And you know, you see various stories that are coming out all the time, and guys want to win basketball games. Guys get paid, and guys get bonuses to win basketball games. Um, you know, in in Sid's article, I thought Bob Walsh, who I've known Bob since I was about 18 years old, and he's been somewhat of a mentor to me, and uh, I thought his quotes were just awesome. And I was just reading some of the the retweets on Twitter from him and you could see people saying how proud they were that they that they worked for this guy. And I think that that's the statement that you need, um, you know, and Bob's at Humane now, it's his first year as a Division One head coach. I think that seeing these kind of statements from the Mike Shefkis or the Rick Petinos or the John Calipari's of the world um, are, are where we really start to change things because from the visibility standpoint, you know, those are the guys that you see on TV and,
0: and on the news and everything else. Well, what big names have spoken out? I know uh, Calipari – was really positive about Derek Gordon when he came out. Have you heard any other big-name coaches say anything um, about the issue?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, obviously, the Derek Gordon thing was a big one. Um, so I think, you know, anyone associated with with Cal, uh, you know, with Cal Perry came out, so you had guys like Bruiser Flint or guys, you know, like Derek Kellogg, who's Derek's head coach. Um, I think going back when Jason came out, you know, Mike Montgomery, Mike Montgomery, rather, had made a statement about it. I think there's been people that have kind of come out and talked about it but I don't think they necessarily talk about it unless it's in their face. You know, if there's a reason for them to talk about it, well then they'll talk about it. But if there's no reason to to necessarily address it, they don't necessarily come out and say, well, I support LGBT athletes. You know, it kind of has to be presented to them for
1: them to comment on it. Got it. One of the things that was interesting when I talked to Bob Walsh at, at Maine is I asked, you know, when I've talked to other coaches for example, Jim Moore, the football coach at UCLA and I've asked him... How do you approach these issues with your players? And they say, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to do. And when I asked Bob about how he approaches it, he said that it's it's in large part reactionary and, and taking opportunities. So when, whenever he hears some kind of anti-gay language, particularly when he hears the F word, he... Stops whatever's going on and says that is not going to be allowed around here and sends a very clear message that discrimination and bigotry and intolerance and these this and that kind of language simply doesn't belong in his program and I thought that was really cool i mean it would be awesome to to hear about more proactive things, but taking those opportunities like you said, a lot of coaches don't want to deal with it, and at least if if you're if you take the opportunities that present themselves. That's a big step forward. I
2: think coaching college basketball or college athletics in general, you have the opportunity to change your culture because you can choose what kind of players are going to come into your program. You can do background checks. You can look at their Twitter. You can look at their Facebook. And Bob, who's one of the winningest division three coaches probably over the last seven, eight years. I mean, he's gone to, you know, NCAA elite eights and, you know, he was an assistant at Providence before that for years. And he, he, he gets it. And, his program was one of the best version 3 programs in the country, clearly, the last couple of years. And I think it starts at the top with the way you change and you create culture. And it's interesting now because now he's a humane and he's going to have to change another culture um, of, that community, of that school community. And I'm sure he's going to do that just from seeing what some of the stuff that are going on. But the nice thing about college athletics is you could control who's coming into your program and what what's going on in your program. You know, as we all know, some guys choose to turn a blind eye and and allow guys to to run a a little bit because they want to win basketball games. There's other guys that go the opposite route and, you know, tighten their belts, and say we're not doing this year and um and and then it goes the other route. You know, I think the interesting thing is you have to sometimes look at it and say where do you go with that? Do you, you know, maybe allow some of the the wiggle room and let the kids get away with it because it's going to keep your job? Or do you go the other route and, and, you know, have that really tight ship? You know, there's no perfect answer. But I think in college you can control that. I think high school is very different, um, certainly. But I think that in college, you know, you really can control your environment as a head coach.
0: Well, Anthony, since you've been out, do you hear regularly sort of from other coaches who are still closeted? Um, And if so, what do they tell you, the reasons they don't want to say be out publicly
2: um I, I think there's two there's like a twofold with that i think a lot of it is where people are from <clears throat> you know i think the, the the people that i hear from in the northeast some of them say you know what we don't need to do this you know i i've been gay my whole life and i don't feel the need to come out and do it this way there's the other ones that come out from the midwest or from other parts of the country that still fear um You know, the blowback. And I think that, you know, Sid and I had talked about this leading up to Nathan's story. And Nathan's story was unbelievable that, you know, his school in a Catholic community, in a Christian community, you know, embraced him and he still has his job. Um, But I still think at the end of the day, it's still fear. You know, you just don't know what's coming. The one parent that wants to decide to go to the board and you want to coach, you want to be a teacher, you don't want to have to deal with going to board meetings to talk about your sexuality. That's just not fun. You want to coach your team. Um, but I still think there's that fear of the unknown that exists out there. You know, I mean, between the three of us on this call and various people, you know, we certainly know our fair share of people that we speak to that remain closeted. And some of them say things like, I'm happy in my life. You know, not everyone needs to know. This is my private life. I really think it's an individual um, It's an aspect of just individual. You know, some people feel good. Some people don't. Some people say they feel good and hide it. You know, I think each little individual case is just um, is different.
0: Well, I always think my theory lately is that you can't come out quietly. That if you come out, it is going to be a story because, by definition, it's still news. And do you think that keeps people sort of like saying, "I don't want to be on ESPN or be the lead story on Sports Center for a day"?
2: No, you know, I, I, Jim, I think that there's there's people out there that I know who are coaches who are gay who have been gay a long time, and there's never been a story about it. Their players know, their school knows. And they've never, they've never, um, they've never been a story. There's never been a story on it. Now, if they choose to go to Outsports or go to, but would there be play, a story?
0: Meaning, my question is like, if we came, because Sid and I have had this numerous times. Some person, coach, player X is out. We then approach them and they say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to go public. Meaning, I'm comfortable in my own little sphere, but I don't want to tell my story. Do you think it's that they don't want to tell it, or no one's asked them?
2: I think, once again, I think it depends on the person. I think there's some that legitimately say, hey, I'm happy the way I am. I don't I don't want this. I don't want to be a spokesperson because the bottom line is whether you want to say it or not, and I've said this all the time, you know, I never imagined that I would be this much into advocacy as I am now where something happens and there's news cameras. You know, Michael Sam uh, gets drafted and I walk out of my gym and there's six news cameras waiting for me. I never thought that would happen. That would, That blows my mind. So I think there's people that see that and don't want it. You know, um, and then I think on, on the other side of it, there's people that, that just are scared, that, you know, are are afraid of the blowback, maybe don't want to deal with the parents. It's just not their way. Um, you, you know, I think that's, that's out there. I mean, I think, you know, Sid, Sid and I had this conversation the other day about someone, and it, it, they're there, and, you know, hey, I'm happy with my life. Well, okay, you know, I'm living my life. I think that that sometimes for us is a disguise because I think that we all know, if you're not, if you're still in practice and your players or your peers are still making jokes about you dating women when you're gay, you're not living your life. That's nonsense. You know, you're still having to deal with that every day. But until you're ready to make the leap, then that has to appease you a little bit, you know, and keep your mind at ease. Unfortunately, but I think that you know, you and I could sit there and talk to someone for hours. Hey, this is going to be best for you. This is going to be best for you. But until you really believe that as a person, then it's not best for you.
1: I want to go back to something that you said earlier about coaches, you know, they want to win games. They just want to coach. They don't want to be distracted by this kind of stuff. My, forgive me for using the word distracted, but you, you know what I mean. And I wonder if all the conversations that are going on around sports and domestic violence and other social issues are, are waking coaches up to the fact that you, you cannot anymore kind of disconnect. Sports and their coaching from social issues that their teams are affected by these things, and and their their job as coaches is going to be judged in part by how they handle these kinds of things. Is that is that seeping through to the coaching associations that you work with?
2: I mean, I think in high school athletics in general, it's very different. Um, the media is so different at that level. What you know, they're not, not really getting into kids' personal lives or for coaches personalized. You know, last year we had a huge racial problem um, in Westchester County where a, a local school went on Twitter after a game and a primarily white school and was really putting out some nasty um, racial remarks about an African-American school. And the Afri- the coach, who happened to be white, of the African-American school, he laid back with it. He said, you know what, we're still playing here. And he really kept himself out of the media through the whole process. And it went all the way to the governor. So I thought he handled it, you know, he's the type of guy that – handled it really well I think at the collegiate level you know it, it's a lot it's a lot different obviously I think you saw it in the pros with Adrian Peterson where he missed a the game then all of a sudden they said he's playing again and then at one thirty in the morning the statement comes out saying he's not playing again after everyone went you know went crazy on it I, I mean I'm dealing with an issue right now and this is not anything to do with LGBT but you know questioning some of my players you know yesterday I had an incident and I'm not happy about the incident, and I kind of shut down my program for a couple days right now. My kids know it because I don't like the behavior that I'm seeing because of the fear that, hey, if you guys do something stupid because of me, it's going to be a story because you play for me. And you are held to a higher standard forever now because of my role in this leadership community and the advocacy that I do. So I I think um, it's it's another case of, you know, depending on the situation. But we're all going to be judged, you know. If, if I have a kid that does something and I don't bench him because I want to win basketball games, you know, what kind of kid am, am I creating? College level, you're talking money. You're talking bonuses. You're talking so much stuff out there, and not everyone's Bob Knight. You know, not everyone, um, you know, has the power to say, hey, I'm going to do it this way and it's going to be my way, and especially in this era,
1: you know. So what? How what, how's the season shaping up, Anthony? I mean, you've got you've been there for what four years now? Is this your fifth year? No, this my, is my sixth year. This is my sixth year. I mean, we're going to be you know we got, we got a very nice team. I mean,
2: at this point, you know we we put the time in. You know, we were thirteen and five. We went undefeated in our league last year, and we got the entire team coming back. I'm lucky enough to have a junior who's getting Division One looks. So, you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be a nice team. And once again. Because of my personal life, my advocacy, plus the success that we might have, you know the heats on us all the time. you know people look at us much more differently than everyone else, and uh that weighs on you a little bit as a coach and um you know we haven't won a playoff game yet in five years, we've been in the playoffs every year, but we haven't won one yet, so the hope is that we're gonna get to that point where we get there but um I, you know I'm looking forward to it. We're a month and a half out, and I think um I think we're gonna have a we're gonna have a pretty strong year, we've got a good schedule and Like I said, I'm a a big guy to talk about the seeds in the playoffs. It's all about those seeds. You know, you get the bad – you get a wrong seed in the playoffs, it changes everything. You know, last year we were 13-5. We were a five-seed and we had two kids miss for academic reasons and for personal reasons, we might have won two more games. If we win those two because those kids are playing, we're a one seed. Now we're advancing into the playoffs because of the seeds. So anything can happen in those playoff situations where you got to wait and see what your seeds. But I'm I'm very optimistic that we're going to have a pretty good year this year. I think it's probably going to be one of the better teams that I coach for a long time.
0: Well, Anthony, speaking about a much more important league in our fantasy football league, it looks like uh, you and me are two and one, and Sid is—oh my God, oh. Sid's oh and three—but Sid has the all-injury team.
2: Yeah, but you know what? He 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 started with this nonsense of, "Oh, I'm going to draft circles around you." I heard before and it's <laughs> all kinds of not well. Kinds of I did. Nonsense, and he, I he did. did. He drafted circles around us, and now he's oh and three, and his team can't score more than twenty points in a game. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's just
1: my, listen, my, my, listen. I gotta fire not just the general manager but the trainer for get these guys constantly being injured. Um I think the the coach has made some terrible start decisions. And you know, listen, yeah, well, you know I got, a, I got a I gotta Yeah, you're two and one, I'm
0: two and one. I don't know how I'm two and one. I don't I score a lot Adrian of points.
2: Peterson. Well Adrian Peterson and Ray Rice, and I'm still two and one. So <laughs> well, imagine that. Imagine that.
0: Well I need be coaching. To
2: my team.
1: Couldn't agree more. It's the coaching. All right, guys. Well well thank you very much, Anthony. And uh, I think I play you next week. Are you going to Philly for the gay bowl? Uh. I mean, we're doing
2: that that conference out in Portland, so we. Fly, I'm flying back on a Wednesday night in the red eye and teaching on Thursday and Friday. So I mean, you never know. I could end up there. I'm actually in Boston for this weekend and going to see Jeter's. Uh, I keep joking, Jeter's, Jeter's final Friday night game at Fenway. I keep. But, uh, <laughs>
1: final Friday. Like everyone, night.
2: everyone else, these poor New Yorkers tonight are gonna. They're absolutely on the way up to Connecticut. It was absolutely pouring and windy. I said, these poor people that are not going to get to see Jeter's last game tonight at a Yankee Stadium because they're getting four inches of rain in New York today, but. uh I'm hoping I'm going to go up to uh, Boston tomorrow and check him out at Fenway and uh, hang out with some of our coalition friends that live up in Massachusetts and uh, have a good time this weekend before I get back next week and kind of dig into basketball season.
1: All right. Well, enjoy your last pre-basketball season weekend and tell Derek Shaw we said hello, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
2: Okay, gentlemen. Nice yeah, talking bye. to you, as always. Take care.
1: That's Anthony Nicodemo, head basketball, boys basketball coach at Saunders High School in Westchester County. It is always he, it's it is funny, Jim, a year and a half ago, he was so closeted and so uh, unaware of this entire movement that he's now become a big leader in. He's doing a lot of stuff in, in high school yep. and
0: among well, coaches in basketball. He's a great guy, very articulate, uh, talks the language and... It is funny that these people they come out and all of a sudden they they find a new kind of a new part of their life opens up if they want it if they want to be such a person and Anthony does.
1: My fantasy team is terrible. It's such a mess, and I do play him next week. Oh God! <laughs> if well, I, I don't know win this, one this, game this, this season, league. This
0: more. the other league I'm in. I'm doing much. I'm doing very well, but I have a really good team. In our league with you, I don't know how I'm eking out victories. Just, I guess because I just got lucky matchups. So.
1: I've had the low. I had the low. The league's low score every week.
0: <laughs> Cause I just well, your two running that. backs, Jamal Charles and Doug Martin, basically haven't played all season. So that's kind of like zero. And then they were like injured in the first series of each game, as opposed to <laughs> so you right, watch And then the No. Sean Moreno
1: injured in the first series, and then Alshon Jeffrey. It's just it's 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 been a mess. It's been a mess.
0: But and fire the San trainer. <laughs> What's that? Fire the trainer. Fire the out. trainer. I've got and, uh, Start from scratch.
1: And I'm not even making good start decisions. Like it doesn't matter who I start. If I start, if I start Andre Johnson, DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins is the one who goes up. If I start Hopkins, Andre Johnson is the one who has a better game. So it, just, I can't, I can't win. I can't win. Um, but that's all the time we have this week. Next week. I don't know, we don't have many coming out stories head, headed this way, but
0: hopefully we can no, we have some good the- ones down the pike. They have a little bit of ways, but yeah, so we'll find yeah, something we'll to talk about. We always do.
1: <laughs> stay tuned for that, and uh, yeah, this I don't know what my computer's being messed up. It's not, oh, it's one of those days. I can't get the sound to go up for the end music, so we're just going to have to cut it off here for... Chimpaczynski and Outsports. This is Sid Ziegler. We will talk to you next week.